All right. We're going for class number two here. Um, and uh, the title of the class is It Takes Two to Make It Out of Sight. That's probably the last time you'll hear that phrase because we'll go right into it. Um, but, uh, you know, when you think about, uh, uh, you know, really building a great marriage, right? We talked about in the first class just, okay, we've got to really understand the perspectives we bring in and then choose to both grab on to God and bring Him in so that our perspectives don't rule our marriages, right? And so what we're going to do in this class, we're going to study out a passage that you, you've met, read 20 million times, but we're going to look at it practically, like what does this look like, and, and we're going to share from some of our experiences in a feed, uh, uh, about Ephesians chapter 5 and how to really uh, live that out. But, you know, we need a lot of help to really embrace this kind of marriage that God wants us to have. So, you know, I, I found this uh, thing that you could order in the mail. And uh, let me uh, show you a little video about it, because uh, it'll be a big help if you can get this. Let me uh, go back. Oh, I could go back. All right. All right, we're set there? Okay. Here we go. Two illnesses that have reached epidemic proportion today are pridefulitis and opinionatia. And many have lost hope. Symptoms include hearing loss, anger, the urge to debate, and delusions of not needing directions. I see pridefulitis every day in my practice. It destroys friendships, marriages, and careers. Sufferers can find it impossible to hear any advice or helpful input. But now there's hope. Introducing Humilify. After just a few days on Humilify, I was actually able to hear my spouse again. Humilify saved my marriage. I suffered from full-blown, nag-resistant pridefulitis. Humilify completely cured my hearing and my vision. Humilify gave me hope. Humilify has also been shown to be effective against other diseases, like I'm the victimitis, you know, my caseus, and I know best. Exercise caution. Side effects include sincere apologies, attentive listening, and the realization that other people are intelligent. Make the decision that will change your life. Try Humilify today. Humilify. Isn't it time you swallowed your pride? <laughs> uh, amen. That, uh, that video is done by disciples in the San Antonio church. You might have recognized some of the faces. Uh, man, that was, that was classic. Uh, if it were only that easy that we could just take a pill that would help humble us and cure the pridefulitis and the other conditions uh, that they were talking about. Uh, but, you know, it really does take a great deal of humility, and we'll talk about that as uh, we look uh, at a passage. And uh, I'll have it up on the screen here. It's Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, I want to read it all together, and then um, I want to, you know, kind of break it down a little bit uh, and, and try to help us to practically... Uh, you know, just bring this into practice. And so let me just uh, read starting in verse 22 
Now, I, I, I want to, I'm going to start in verse 22, but there's no reason why you couldn't start in verse 21 when it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because submission is really a two-sided thing. Even for the husbands, there's a submission to the needs of the wife. And we'll talk about that, but for, for the purposes of this class, we're going to start in verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible says, wives... Submit to your husbands. I mean, sorry, I'm like moving so fast right now because this passage uh, means something very personal to me. I'll tell you in a second. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Let me just stop there for a moment because it's something very key and personal to us. Glory, before we were Christians, she would definitely would, she was a feminist that wasn't trying to take orders from nobody, okay? And she used to recite, I'll never forget it, this was back in the day, Hot 97, Men Are Slime. There was something in the morning, the radio show, and they used to have this thing called Men Are Slime. She used to sing that to herself all the time, and I'm like, listening, Men Are Slime, before she was a Christian. Yeah, we'll clear that up. Now, the reason this stands out to me is because when she became a Christian, I started to see her submitting. And I was an atheist. And I started saying, whoa, what in the world is going on here? Like, this is not her. This is not how she normally rolls. And I can honestly say... One, I remember reading that scripture and saying, man, I like this scripture. This, are, are there more like this? Like, that's what I really started thinking. But, but let me tell you, it was the first moment that I started to wonder, could this be real? Wow. It was the first moment. It was the first time that seed was planted because I knew my wife. I mean, I went to high school with her. I knew what she was about. I knew what she was like. And when she started changing, and, and I was like, wait a second, is this something to this? It was the very first moment that I believe God spoke to me and opened my heart. And I hadn't yet believed in God. But I know at that moment that God was working. But let's keep reading. Verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. But they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. You know, we read this passage, depending on what you bring into the marriage, you might get attitudes when you read this, 
You might wonder why this is in the Bible. You might wonder like, oh my goodness, this is so difficult. But what I want you to realize is that you have an opportunity. You know, the Bible chose marriage to describe or teach something about the church and the relationship to Christ. And that's pretty profound when you think about it. That he would choose your relationship, your marriage, as an analogy. As a way to teach people what it's like. Christ and the church. And so, this passage calls us to, hey, married couples, I want you to look at Christ and the church. To really see a picture of what your marriage should look like. Now, we've all read this passage. If you've been around, you probably like, man, we're doing that one again? But here's what I want you to think about. You could read this 20 million times, and you know good and well, you probably violated this scripture like 20 minutes ago. There's probably things you said, things you did on the way here, arguments you've had with this, although you know it up here, it's not really what's happening in your everyday life. And, you know, before we really break down the scripture, I feel like there's, there's one thing I, I really want to say that I feel like if you don't get this part, then, then the rest of it you're going to have trouble with. All right? And I want you to work with me here. Stay in your lane. Okay. Now, let me clarify this, because I know some of y'all are looking at the spouse and saying, stay in your lane. That's not what it's intended for. This is for you to look in the mirror and say to yourself, stay in your lane. Now, I'm going to tell you why I say that. Over the years, we've counseled many couples. One of the biggest problems that we see with couples is they'll read a passage like this and they will be totally focused on what their spouse needs to be doing. And so they'll be so focused on what their spouse is supposed to be doing that the part that's for them gets overlooked. And they're so caught up on what their spouse isn't or is doing that they miss out. Well, what are you doing? And so when I'm talking about staying in your lane, I'm not talking to tell that to your spouse. I'm saying say it to yourself. What is your role? What is God calling you to? Just block out what doesn't apply to you. You know how many times we get with couples and the husband is caught up in, well, my wife is not submitting. Bro, if you got to tell your wife that, you already lost the battle. If that's where you're starting, you're starting in the wrong place. And wives are coming, you know, he's so selfish, he just doesn't love me. And it's like, okay, listen, you could, you could draw your battle lines. But what are you trying to accomplish? Do you just want your way? Or do you want God's way? See, because God's way is going to mean both of y'all need to look in the mirror and say, I need to stay in my lane. That's the only way it works. And so, you know, I, I want to encourage you. Don't sit here. If you're a brother, and when my wife comes up here to talk about submission, don't be like, mm-hmm. Tell her, sister. 
And sisters, likewise, when I start talking to the brothers, I know it's going to be hard. You're going to be like, see, I told him that yesterday. I don't know why he doesn't listen. (laughs) Not helpful. Not helpful. Look yourself in the mirror and say, I need to stay in my lane. Because here's the truth. If you really trying to live this out, you, your hands should be full. If you're really trying to live this out, you, you don't really have time to be worried about this. This is hard just for me to live. What business do I have worried about what she's doing when I ain't living this? When I need to repent, when I need to be different. And so we really got to understand that we've got to focus on what is the role that I have to focus on. They tell you in an airplane, put your oxygen mask on first, right? Even they look at your kids. Don't put it on your kids, but put it on you first and then. Why? Because you've got to deal with you first. That's what you've got to deal with. You've got to deal with you first. So even when we talk about perspectives, don't sit there and think, oh, my spouse's perspective is jacking about marriage. No, ask yourself, what perspectives am I bringing in to my marriage? Stay in your lane. Amen. Focus on you. Here's the truth. You can't control other people. You have a hard enough time controlling yourself. So who are you kidding? You're never going to be able to control your spouse. You have your hands full simply trying to get yourself in order. So as we talk through these things... It's great that we get to do this together because you get to hear what the other spouse is saying. And that's great. But don't be elbowing each other. You know, oh, I wish, I wish so-and-so, you know, I hope they're hearing this. Listen, I, you know, being a minister, if I'm hearing somebody, you know, I have somebody else preaching at home. Listen, I, here's a confession. I'm not saying it's right. I'm, when I'm sitting there and someone says a point, the first thing I think of, is this person here? Let me see if they're here. That's my default. Because I'm like, I have done had ten conversations. I hope he heard that. When shouldn't I be saying, wait a second, what about me? Am I living this? Do I need to repent? I mean, have I figured it out that well that I should be wondering if so-and-so heard this? This is why we need to approach God humbly. And even when we look at these scriptures, we've got to say, okay, what is my role in this? Amen. What do I need to focus on? So we're going to jump right into I'm going to have Glory come up, and she's going to talk about a word, submission, that uh, just fires up all the sisters. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Amen. Amen. Are we excited to talk about submission today? <laughs> Amen. Well, you know, here's the thing about submission. How many of us here are disciples of Jesus? Show of hands. How many of us here love Jesus? Jesus submitted. That's right. Submission is a Jesus thing. You know, several times a year, I love to look at the Gospels. I study out the Gospels because it helps my heart. It helps refresh my heart. 
And I love, love looking at Jesus. And then toward the end, I know it's coming. I know it's time to look at the cross. And I get a little bittersweet because I know it's coming. Oh, goodness. He's going to have to go through the cross. But throughout the Gospels, and when I was studying the Bible, what helped me so much, what helped this feminist heart fall apart, was how Jesus was with people and how he was willing to submit his humility. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jesus' submission. You wouldn't be here. We wouldn't stand a chance to face God if it wasn't for his submission and his humility. So who am I to not submit? So if it's okay for Jesus, why is it not okay for me? Submission is a Jesus thing. You know how I see it is, this scripture, verse 22, is not in a vacuum. It is in context of verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It goes back to my relationship with God. You know, I was talking to a sister earlier. You know, it's a vertical thing, you know, that we often make horizontal. It's a me and God thing. When I'm having a hard time submitting here, it's because I'm not submitting here. See, I don't reach here. I can't box God. We don't, I don't reach. So I sometimes try to make it over here. And it, I, it's the wrong way. My issue is here. Submission is a God thing. It's a Jesus thing. And see, when I have it that way, when I figure that out, it's a lot easier to do. If Jesus submitted, who am I to not submit? Does that make sense? We're all submitting. And it boils down to imitating Jesus who was humble. Study out the Gospels. Study out Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Jesus had every right to make demands, and yet he came and he washed his stinky disciples' feet. Including Judas, to the point that no one would even know who it was that was going to betray him. That is the Lord that we follow. That is who we said we were going to make Lord and Savior. That same Jesus. He is the standard. You know, our part here, Johnny's going to go, he's going to break down what Jesus did for the church. What Jesus did for the church, he died for the church. Our role is to focus on what we need to do. That's what my role is. But I've got to go back to remembering, okay, we're called to submit the way that Jesus did. But I have a question for us. How am I doing with my walk with God? Am I maturing in my Bible study, my prayer life? Am I getting to know the one that I claim to follow? Am I still motivated by the love of Christ? Why? Because I'm, I'm told to submit out of reverence for Christ. How's my reverence? How's my connection to Jesus? Because if I'm not connected, it's going to be real hard to submit over here. It really is. Because I'm not connected to the head. I'm not connected to Jesus. Am I still motivated? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Here's the thing. The things that I'm saying right now are so not only counterintuitive for most of us. Maybe some of us out there are naturally submissive. Good for you. (laughs) 
Good for you. Amen. Please meet me afterward. Let's talk. That's so nice. But it tends to be so counterintuitive for most of us. It's countercultural. Everything you read is all about power. It is all about your voice. It is so countercultural. I want to ask us a question. If we were to tally how many hours we spend scrolling on social media, on blogs, on things we're reading, tally that versus how much time you spend reading and praying. How much time are we spending on social media reading and blogging versus the Bible? We've got to fight and be so deliberate on what's coming in here through our eyes and our hearts because what's out there is telling you, you've got a voice, you've got power, and nobody's going to tell you what to do. And then you read something like submit out of reverence for Christ. What do you think your heart's going to tell you? Um, no. We have got to fight to be deliberate. We've got to pray because it is against our nature to be humble. But we've got to be like Jesus. You know, is he Lord of our marriage? We don't get to pick and choose where he's Lord of and where he isn't. He is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. We don't get to compartmentalize areas where he isn't Lord. And you know how I know if he's being Lord of our home? Is there a power struggle going on in my house? Our home is not a place where there should be a power struggle. And you know what happens When we start, when Jesus is not Lord of our home, there's little power struggles going on. What do I mean by that? You know, Genesis 2, we were created to be the ally, the helper, the azer. I love that word, the azer. If you ever want to do a Bible study, the helper of our husband, that's the all-seeing eye. It's a beautiful word. But it doesn't say we were created to be the takeover, the controller of our home. That's not what that means. The Azer is that all-seeing eye, so when we see danger, we have conversations. Hey, hon, let's be careful with this. We have those conversations. That's our role. That's that back-to-back. We fight, we help, we have each other's back. That doesn't mean we control and take over. That's crossing the line. Our marriage is not the place for power struggles. It goes back to our perspective and us having godly perspective of our marriage. But what happens is we give way to fear sometimes. We give way to fear and we start wanting to take over certain areas of our marriage. We're afraid. Sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we're afraid of trusting God. We're afraid of letting, really letting our husbands in. We hold back. We're not really vulnerable. We're afraid of bearing it all. Sometimes we just think we know better. We just think we know better. We think there's certain, there's just certain areas we're just, we know better. You know what it is, honey? I, I hear what you're saying. I hear you. But I just know better. We may not say it that way. We may not say it that way. We may have a different lingo, but that's what it is. So we jump in and we take over. You know, lastly, sometimes we just haven't worked through our past. As an individual, our own past, or as a couple. So rather than work through and deal with the pain together with God as that third strand, in partnership, we bury it till it comes out inappropriately. What I mean by inappropriately? Attached to the seven other things that hurt us. I call it the octopus. So the next time something happens, it's connected to seven other ways he hurt us. The octopus comes out because it's never been dealt with. 
And so there's a power struggle going on in our home. And we may need to get more help with scars from the past. We can get together with Christ-centered mature women. We may need more help. But not doing anything about it will not fix it. We can control taking the first step toward getting help. Toward forgiveness. Toward resolving. But in our homes, there shouldn't be a power struggle. We shouldn't be fighting for control. What is it for you? Why do you remove Jesus from the throne of control, of lordship? Is it fear? Is it pride because you think you know better? Or is it unresolved pain? Each of the areas I mentioned, they go deeper than our, than our spouse. Fear, pride, unresolved pain, and unforgiveness. They're me and God issues. They're not me and Johnny issues. These are vertical problems, not horizontal problems. You know, sometimes we cringe when we, hear, when we hear submission, and we're so afraid of giving our husband the upper hand. If we would only humble out and give Jesus the place he deserves and put our marriage first, what God can do. We would give him the place that he deserves. And we would learn to entrust ourselves to the Father the way that Jesus did so that you and I could have a chance to go to heaven. So that you and I could have a chance to share the gospel with people. If only we would do that. Rather than waste energy fighting submission and figuring out what submission isn't, why don't we start figuring out what submission is? It's a Jesus thing. It's a Jesus thing. And it's beautiful when we realize that we are imitating Jesus. John 8:28. I do nothing on my own authority. Those are Jesus' words. John 6:38. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus' words. This is how Jesus spoke. Jesus understands submission because he submitted to the Father. Amen. Finally, really quick, let's talk about respect. Ephesians 5.33, when you get a moment, study it out in the Amplified Translation. Let that, let that marinate for a little bit. Have a good quiet time on Ephesians 5.33 in the Amplified. We don't have time. Study that out. It'll, it'll do wonders for your heart. I know it does for me. You know, it says the wife must respect her husband. You know what that tells me? Glory, you don't have a choice. You just don't. And that's a good thing. I have a question for us. Do we lift up our spouse or do we tear them down? Do we lift them up or do we tear them down? Do we pray for them? You know that our husbands are bombarded with messages, images, and noise from the world, at work, from coworkers, from media, from scars from their own past that they're working through. But we have the power. We can intervene for them. We have power. Let's use our power for good. You know, those of us who are, parent, uh, who are parents, who are mothers, we do so much. We pray for our children to have great days in school. We pray for their safety. Are we praying for our children as they're at work with coworkers who are trying to put them down while they're trying to do their best at work? We can do this for our husbands. How much do we pray for our family members? Are we praying for our spouse? We pray for people we study the Bible with. Are we praying for them? Our husbands 
on a daily basis are being bombarded. You know, something I learned a long time ago and that I'm reminded of a lot is my husband leaves the home, but I set the tone. I set the tone. I have so much influence in my home with my mood, with the way I carry myself, and with my words. Our words are powerful. Sisters, I encourage you, do a Bible study on the power of the tongue of our speech. How do I talk to my spouse? How do I talk about him to our children, to others? Am I quick to throw him under the bus when we get together with other people? How do I talk about him? You know, Johnny told me, I remember we were getting ready for, um, I think it was a retreat, and he was saying how often on in TV and sitcoms and movies, even in retreats, often men are portrayed as morons. They don't know what they're doing. They're idiots. And some men could be defensive and they'll fight, and so they get very defensive. Other men will simply surrender. Okay, I guess I don't know what I'm doing. And you know, that broke my heart because it could become, he said, it could become like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I thought to myself, I don't ever want Johnny to feel like that. He is not an idiot. I don't ever want my kids. I have a son, and I don't want my daughter to feel like that's okay. I love Johnny. I don't ever want him to, like, that really broke my heart. You know, do my words lift up or tear down? Am I judgmental, negative, critical, sarcastic? There's a book I want to recommend for us. It's called The 40-Day Word Fast, in closing. It's by Tim Cameron, The 40-Day Word Fast. It's written by a man after his wife encouraged him, hey, you're being really negative. And it's a fast, fasting for 40 days, the words that you speak that are negative. Several people in my ministry did it. it it's amazing. It's harder than a food fast, by the way. That's, it was, it's amazing, but it's harder than food because it's cutting out negative words from your speech. Proverbs 14.1, sisters, with our hands, we can build our home or we can tear them down. Let's be sisters that respect and build up our husbands. Amen. 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 And, you know, um, let me just say this about that last point that Glory made uh, with, with the men and respecting. Sisters, it's to your advantage that your husband feels like you respect him. Because there's nothing worse than being led by an insecure man. It, it's going to bite you. The more insecure he is, it will affect you. The decisions he makes out of insecurity will bring you bad times. This is why it's so important, especially, you know, we we had this conversation because there's a lot of messages being thrown at men all day long. And if wives don't help us, and see, you have a, let me tell you something, I could preach a sermon and I could get 25 people telling me it was the greatest thing they ever heard. But if my wife say, I don't know about a couple of your points. I'm done. It, do, it doesn't matter what the 25 people said. It just doesn't matter. That's the power of what the influence that she could have on me. So understand that when you respect your husband, you also make it better for yourself. Because a secure leader 
is always a better leader. An insecure leader makes insecure decisions that cause consequences that will hurt. So it's something that you really want to understand and really embrace. And let me just say this. I know, oh, I know it can be difficult. Listen, I've talked to my daughter about different things. and I'll share a little bit more about conversations I've had with her. Submission doesn't mean that you get disrespected. That's not what it means. In fact, you know, uh, Glory mentioned that, you know, submission is, is a Jesus thing. And, you know, in John 19, Jesus is talking to Pilate. And Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Jesus submitted to Pilate and his authority. Now, guess what that doesn't mean? That doesn't mean Jesus is less than Pilate. It doesn't mean that Jesus is less than a good person. Because we know that's not what it's about. But Jesus handed us all a template that we've got to understand. Role versus value. Role doesn't equal value. So if you are in a submissive role, doesn't make you less than. And so submission should not equal, and that's what the world wants to tell you. Oh, if you submit, that means that you're less than, and so then you should be disrespected, and you you shouldn't take that on. Well, no, when you look at the Scriptures, Jesus submitted. He didn't submit and say, okay, I, I, I submit to you because you're better than me. It's because he understood, okay, this is the role. It was given to him, and ultimately for him, like my wife said, it was all about submitting to God. If this is the role God has given me, then that's what I will go with. So when we think about this, even submitting to one another, this is something we've got. We all submit in one way or another, and it always comes back to God. Now let's talk a little bit to the brothers in the calling here. Love your wife as Jesus loved the church. Simple statement. Nice uh, words here. But man, if you're paying attention, this is difficult to live. Let me tell you, um, about seven years into my marriage, I had a conversation with a brother that I believe changed the trajectory of our marriage. And it happened, you know, we, uh, Glory had asked me, I think she was going out for a jog or she was going for a walk. And she asked me, hey, um, can you just do the dishes while I'm gone? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got it. And so I was watching some game or something. I don't even know what I was doing. So she comes back to the door. And as soon as I hit the door, it clicks. Oh, snap. I forgot to do the dishes. So I'm thinking, man, okay, how how am I going to work this one out? So she walks into the kitchen and sees the dishes right where she left them. And, you know, what was heartbreaking is, is that she started to cry. And then I was like, I mean, hey, I'll do the dishes. Like, what, what's going on here? And I, I was like, like, oh, what? 
like, what just happened? The, the dishes, I, I could get them done right now. And, and, and she, you know, she just kind of walked away. And I, I was totally baffled. And I remember talking to a brother about it. And, you know, he was like, you know, the Bible calls you to love your wife, right? You know, maybe for you practically, loving your wife means asking her why it hurt her so bad that you didn't do the dishes. Versus you getting defensive and saying she's overreacting and what's her problem? Maybe you could say, hey, why, why, why did that hurt you in that way? And he told me, because what's going to happen when you find out why, instead of a combatant, you're going to become her advocate. And let me tell you something, that's exactly what happened. See, when I asked that question, what I learned was, it wasn't about the dishes. It was the, the feeling of being let down by the people who say they love you. And that wound went back into her childhood. And I was doing something today... That it wasn't really about today is what it made her feel like about a whole life. What it connected her with is that words can be said, but actions tell you something different. It was a feeling of being let down all over again. That broke my heart. It broke me. For seven years, I fought it. For seven years, I thought, like, but what's her problem? For seven years, I just looked at, why is she always coming at me? And it hit me, man, she needs me. I could either be an angel of healing for her, or I could keep piling on the pain for her. I had that conversation in my garage it was seven years into my marriage, married 24 years. So this was 17 years ago. I remember where we were, what the brother was wearing. I remember that conversation like it was yesterday. It changed my life. From that moment on, I decided I need to find out why my wife hurts. I'm not going to take it personal. Because the chances are, it might not even be personal. And I decided I'm going to be an advocate. I'm going to be by her side. I'm going to be an agent of healing for her. I want to change the narrative and not just repeat it. And see, so we can read passages that tell us to love our wives, but this is what I'm saying with sometimes we don't understand what that practically means for you. Now listen, I know sisters read this passage, and they read that submission, and, and it's easy. I've talked to several sisters, man, we got the hard part. <laughs> really? I think we got the hard part, you got the hard part, if we're not reading the whole passage. If we're not really understanding this. Because I, yeah, I get it. It's hard. So me, I'm not taking anything away. But let me tell you. Loving your wife like Jesus loved the church. That's out of this world. Just saying the words is like, wait, what? 
Is that is that even possible? If you read this passage and really take it in, you'll realize this is an incredibly high calling to love your wife as Christ has loved the church. You know, when Jesus was given an option between remaining comfortable in heaven and going down to suffer here on earth, He chose suffering over comfort. Jesus was all about action. He was all about sacrifice. Jesus, way before you even knew it, was aggressively pursuing you. He was after each and every soul aggressively long before you knew He was. He endured torture and ridicule for you and I. No one will ever love you that much nor endure that much pain for you. Jesus didn't sit passively in heaven criticizing us for our stupid decisions. He wasn't sitting in heaven talking under his breath, like, oh, look at these people. That's not what Jesus was about. He zealously came after you. And brothers, he tells us, follow his example. What he did for you, he wants you to do for your wife. You know, when you really examine Jesus' love, and then you look, man, am I loving my wife like that? Man. Maybe y'all spiritual. I fail miserably at this. I got to pray, Lord, help me. I am selfish to the core. I agree with the part that says, love myself. Yeah, I I love myself. (laughs) Yes. But this is hard. And yet, that's what we're called to. He says, love your wife like Jesus loved the church. You cannot display the love of Christ without accepting that sometimes it will hurt to love this way. I want you to understand that. It will hurt to love this way. It will cost something. It will cost a sacrifice. It will bring you pain to love your wife as Jesus loved the church. See, this is why you can't view it in a vacuum, because if you're not holding on to the love Jesus has for you, guess what? There's not a chance you got living this. Not a chance. You know, he tells us to love as Jesus loved the church. Jesus gave himself up for the church. There was nothing he withheld from his bride. Jesus loved, and this one really challenges us. Jesus loved 
even when it wasn't reciprocated. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. That one right there, that one sticks. Jesus loved even when it was not reciprocated. What that means is Jesus calls you to love your wife regardless if your wife loves you back. Man, think about that. That's hard. So I get we all got something hard to do. This is what I'm talking about. Why you need to mind your business and focus on you. Because you got your hands full. This is hard stuff. To love like Jesus. To love our wives regardless of what we're getting back. It's not a love that waits to see what she does. It's a love that acts first and waits for no response. It's a love that keeps giving regardless if rejection comes his way. They were killing him on a tree and he said, forgive them, Father. That's tough. See, this kind of love, it don't even make sense if you don't look at Jesus. You don't got a shot at living it. It's just, it's just not even possible to fathom unless you're in touch. And this is why you've got to focus on you. Unless you're in touch for what Jesus has done for you. You know, um, most men, I would say, they could, they could understand this sacrifice in a big sense. Right, you ask most men, they'll have very little problem drumming up enough courage to lay their lives down in a physical sense in a one-time single event. You know, most men will say, oh, "Well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll die for. Her. I would take a bullet for her." And in some ways, I believe dying a physical death for your wife is actually much easier than dying on a daily basis in the little things. So we say, hey, I'll catch a grenade for her. But will you take the time to truly connect with her? Will you sacrifice the time and energy to truly connect with her? We might say, I would take a bullet for her. But will you take her on a date and make her feel special? We might say, I would take a bullet for her, but will you pick up your socks and put them in a stinking hamper? <laughs> would you put your dishes in the sink? See, we say, and I, I believe it, we would take a bullet, but it's the little things that oftentimes we're not willing to die. So I'll do that one-time event, but the daily thing, this is a whole nother ball game. You know, you would take a bullet for her. But will you take the initiative to get help or just leave it up to her? I can't tell you over the years in the church when couples are having marriage problems and it just annoys me. The sisters come, oh, can we get, where's your husband? Brothers, we have to take the lead here. 
We've got to love our, our wives should know, hey, if I don't say nothing, I know he loves me enough that he's going to go and seek this out. That's what loving your wife is all about. See, again, we could say the words, we could believe in the idea, but at the end of the day, what are you actually doing? How are you actually living it? You know, um, when I think about, you know, this passage, you ever, you know, I do this kind of stuff. I look at the part for the women is like a couple sentences. And then the men got this like long paragraph. Yeah, it's like a whole sermon. Like you got five point sermon after. And I'm like, okay, they got a couple sentences. And we got this whole thing. Make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Present her to himself as a radiant church. Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. Holy and blameless. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Even got personal. Like, you know you love yourself. Love her like that. He who loves his wife loves himself. And then for the women, it's like, you know, submit to your husband as a law and respect him. See ya. Now, brothers, here's what I want. I have a theory behind this. Here's my theory. And here's my personal opinion. I think if, if you... For most cases, I'm not saying this is always the case. I, I always have that one person say, oh, it's not that dynamic for me. In most cases, you tell a sister, hey, you got to focus on submitting. They start to really think through all the implications of that. You tell a brother, love your wife. He's going to be like, hey, did you see the video with the box, the nothing box? And they start going on, brother, did you see the game? Oftentimes, like, it just, it just goes. So, when I read this passage, here's what I think. I think God is saying, you know what, I need to give them a little more detail. That's actually what I believe. I need, they need a little bit more detail, because if I don't give it, they're not going to take time to see the implications of what the, the shortest trajectory. Oh, love my wife? Got you. Let's keep it moving. Wow. And so then what happens is you make one change in the house and then you want all the kudos for that one change. And you're like, but I just started doing dishes. You did it for three days. You've been married for 15 years. And you want all that credit. Oh, I just did it. Three. Oh, man, I did the dishes. Ain't I awesome? Because you know, I really think, you know, we just, we don't, Take the time to really think deeply about this stuff. You know, when, when I, I sat down with a brother that was about to get married and we went over this passage, let me tell you, when we taught it, here's what he came and told me on the side. He goes, bro, can I do this? I said, bro, you know what? Thank you, because I know you got it. Because that's the question you should be asking. Can I do this? Well, the truth is alone, you can't. But if you don't ask, can I do this? I wonder, do you really understand this passage? Do you really get what we're talking about here? Francis Chan summarizes this passage like this. He says, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I have been given a tremendous task. I am supposed to be Jesus. Jesus. 
My love should remind Lisa, his wife, of Christ's love. The longer life goes on, the more she should feel like she is married to Jesus. I should be so selfless that it reminds her of the cross. I should have such a high standard for purity that she never has reason to doubt my faithfulness. Just as she would never dream of being lied to by Jesus, she should be confident that I will never waver from the vow I made. Like that's what loving your wife looks like. You know, and he goes on to say at the end of this, Hey, I'm failing misery. Lord, help me. But this, this is what we've got to see. And, you know, I want to close out with this uh, story. You know, this passage in 1 Peter 3, this passage, I remember reading it, scared the mess out of me. Because basically it says, treat your wife with respect, and if you don't, it will hinder your prayers. See, respect is a two-way street. So, husband, just because your wife is called to submit to you does not give you the right to disrespect her. In fact, God says, you dare do that, and I'm going to not listen to you. And I don't know about you, but I need for God to be listening to me on a daily. I need that. That's a scary place to be. So when we're talking about respect, it really is a two-way street. You know, I went to drop off a few years ago, my, my daughter off to college. And, you know, taking her to school, and I know what they teach in these schools, and I know there's going to be a lot of stuff thrown at her. And so I bring up this topic. I say, you know, you're going to learn this whole thing. Submission is a bad thing, and, you know, it's, Christianity subjugates women and all this stuff. And, you know, but I want you to understand that submission isn't a bad thing. And so we start talking, and at one point she goes, Dad, I, I, I know this. I've seen it work at home. Like, I know mom, like, her role is to submit, but but I also see how you respect her. So, honestly, they can bring up what they want to bring up. I have experienced how this works. Let me tell you something. You get me on the side, I could run through a laundry list of ways that I messed up my kids. But I felt like God gave me that moment to say, man, you did something right. And I I was like, thank you, Lord. Something registered positively here. And, you know, I think back to that moment. This is the power of your life. When the world is telling people the opposite, your life can confirm that what you believe is right. Your life can can right that wrong and really help people to see that this works if you focus on your part. In closing, stay in your lane and focus on your part in the marriage. Wives, submit to your husband's leadership and remember your role does not equal your value. Husbands, love your wives like Jesus. Like he loved the church. Love like Jesus and she will follow. I have never met a wife that didn't want to submit to a husband who was loving her like Jesus. Focus on your part and it all work out. And thank you guys and God bless.